Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ab Taivalapil. Did I get that right? Cool. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently working under the supervision of Ab at STEM Fellowship Journal. Ab is a PhD candidate at the University of Guelph with an expected completion in 2023. In 2013, he graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry and Biotechnology from Wilfrid Laurier University. Following this, in 2017, he completed his Bachelor of Applied Science in Occupational Health and Science from Ryerson University, and then went on to receive his Master's of Science in Epidemiology in 2019 from the University of Guelph. Ab has served as the Managing Editor of STEM Fellowship Journal since 20, January of 2019, and has a strong passion for the promotion of STEM research in youth, a goal shared by my podcast. I recall when I submitted an article to the STEM Fellowship Journal, I was greeted by immediate and in-depth comments by Ab, helping me to push my thinking. I look forward to having this conversation with Ab and cannot wait to see where this leads. Thanks for your time today, Ab. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So yeah, really glad to have you on. Um, you seem like a really, you know, really smart, uh, well thought person, I guess. Um, and so I'm really excited to have a conversation today. Um, so I guess to start off, um, a question that I ask pretty much everybody is what, what, um, do you like about research? What motivates you to do research? Um, that's a good question. Um, and I'll start off with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He said, reading makes a full man, meditation, a profound man and discourse, a clear man. And, uh, I think it's not maybe not necessarily the research aspect that interests me but the the collaboration and the conversations and the healthy disagreements that go on in that area that really gravitated me towards that area and that discipline so you know simply put that's what interests me in research um and then obviously a, a more detailed answer would be that i like solving problems and answering questions that perhaps haven't been answered before and there's a lot of autonomy in that process. There's a lot of um, uh, creativity that goes on. And obviously we know that there, you know, it, at the end result of it, sometimes the publication has to be quite structured and has to follow certain rules. But the entire process from start to almost finish is is quite creative and I, and I love it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that I sort of agree with that in the sense of like the creativity aspect, I think, it's sort of this interesting feeling once you um, publish something because it's it's creativity to sort of mold the world to some extent to more mold the truth right um when, once you've published something that becomes part of the the scientific literature body right um mm. and I, I think that's a really interesting feeling it's a really interesting concept in general just to um to to uh yeah to experience um, yeah. So, so what do you, in terms of like young people, I think one thing that I've noticed, so I've been running the high school big data challenge this year, um, where, you know, for those listeners who might not know, um, high school students do research, um, pertaining to big data, um, or I guess using big data, trying to answer a problem, I guess, a societal problem of sorts. So this year we're doing clean and renewable energy um at the communal and individual level so it's helping kids to focus on um on you know something that would affect themselves or just a small community as opposed to trying to solve the problem worldwide um 
So my question for you, Ab, would be for people like this who are in high, in high school sort of level, um, what I often see is I see young people who they, they don't fully, either they don't fully realize what they're doing and then they submit a really great paper um, or they get a little bit caught off or caught up in the, um, the issue of like, you know, this is, they, they realize what I just said, this is science, this is going to be the truth, right? Um, and they sort of get a little bit, I guess, flustered by that. Um, how do you, how do you suggest that people deal with that, that fear of, of, you know, I have to, I have to keep this, this high standard, right? Um, or maybe, you know, maybe am I the best person to do this research? Wouldn't it be better for like a PhD to do this research, right? Um, how do you suggest that, that young people um, sort of break down that barrier? That's another good question, and that's a tough one. I think uh, I think sometimes it depends on the individual, but if we were to do a little broad uh, stroke of the brush here, I would say that we it's all about encouragement at that stage and perhaps even your stage where we're the goal is to get them interested in science, interested in, in this case, uh, climate change and renew, renewable energy, and simply encouraging them to take that first step because this is often their first step in high school so just you know whatever happens happens as long as you put your put some effort in you're going to find out some interesting information and perhaps you'll find out some uh, interesting recommendations that have already been said before but now you're amplifying it you're extending that audience um and and really and really sort of helping them develop that and also maybe i might push back on your definition of the of the one truth here actually ben because there sure. are there are debates in the social sciences where um uh, where a lot of a lot of them uh, epistemologically and ontologically they'll they'll say that you know i don't agree with that because they'll say that perhaps human beings are creating the meanings or truths so there can be multiple truths so maybe maybe I'll withhold that part of that uh, content and keep that philosophy to myself, uh, even though I'm, I might actually lean towards your definition, actually, um, but I, I'll hold it to myself and just encourage them and say that, hey, science is about advancing knowledge and a lot of it belongs, you know, a lot of it is we're supposed to be digesting that knowledge and uptaking that knowledge. So, you know, you're contributing to science just by being involved in this competition. Sort of, um, and I'm sort of bringing this into a bit of my my area. I'm, I'm an undergraduate, so my area of like expertise is still sort of, you know, growing and, and starting off here. But um, I think that, so I'm a, I'm a mathematician. Um, and I think that, that this sort of what you mentioned there brings me, the first thing that it brings me to is this, um, the common, I guess, question or rhetorical question that's posed in um in mathematics which is is mathematics discovered or is it invented right um and i think that sort of goes on to what you're saying right if it's discovered then then there's one you know there's one answer there is one truth right um as far as i can think at least um whereas if it's invented then you know you can have different inventions right um and i think that sort of goes for for this this whole topic this abstract topic as as a whole right um mm -hmm. yeah i guess that 
that distinction between discovery and invention, which is something that we really don't know. Um, right. Yeah, it, it's very, very interesting. Um, so then I guess a, a follow-up question there would be, let's suppose that a young person does not, for some reason, does not have access to um, offerings such as the big data challenge or um, various, you know, I guess these motivating competitions um, or motivating types of situations. Um, what would be the ideal first step if they wanted to just jump into research? What would be the first thing you would suggest them to do? And this is at the high school level we're talking? Sure. Or you can, if you want to make it broad to late high school, early undergrad, that's sort of general area or if you want to make two separate cases that's fine too mm -hmm. right okay well um when typically i would say at that level you know you're a young individual you're starting to become semi-independent independent possibly and uh you're interested in research um i think you should really focus on what your priorities are and ask yourself what exactly you're what exactly are your priorities? Because most of the time you're in school, um, you have maybe a part-time job or a volunteer position, and you should commit to that. And and that adds to your resume. And and you know don't uh, downplay the importance of that. Um, and I I did write uh, I did reflect on this uh, a while ago because I I often interact with younger folks and with the sports that I play. So uh, and I. I have to make myself personable to them and get along with them so that we can actually build the team chemistry and perform well um, together. So, um, and sometimes they'll, they'll even ask me for advice. And um, I, early on, I didn't know what to tell them. And then it took me, you know, I went back on my own and introspected a little bit and I wrote down a few things. So uh, I am a little bit older. So, <laughs> so I wrote down a few things and I have maybe, I don't have one thing actually, Ben, but I have maybe five things here. And I would first of all say try harder in school. And it's it's not just academically; uh, it's it's the whole thing. It's about you know dressing well, being respectful to students and professors uh, and your teachers, attending. I wouldn't say all of your lectures or classes, but try to attend most of them because there is some there is something to be gained. Um, show up early and on time, uh, participate in social events with your cohort, um, and try to learn from the successful students that you're friends with or you're interacting with. And uh, obviously school is not just restricted to the the classes and the knowledge itself, but you know, get involved in intramurals or a music club or extracurricular activities that align with your initiatives. So that's one. Um, so try harder in school. Number two is spend some time thinking about your interests, strengths, and learn about different jobs. Um, you know, we're we're in this you know digital age where we're we have access to just about everything we we want. The, you know, a click away, it's your phone has it now too, and there's almost you almost have to make a concerted effort to spend time alone and think about things. So spend time about spend time thinking about these things. Um, you know, not just your field, but fields outside of uh, outside of what you're involved in. And it could be reading a book, taking a free online course. Um, it could be 
having conversations with different people and uh and really when most people are you know your age or younger that they don't you know you might be the exception to the rule but most people don't really know what to do with their lives and it doesn't just come magically to you one day but you have to really think about what it is that you want to do and it's a long process it might take a couple years maybe longer um, but you find that out through placements uh reading uh coursework um volunteer positions um, and if you if you don't start thinking about it then someone else is going to decide what your job is going to be um, and so don't just you know go through the motions um, it's fine for the most part but you know make a concerted effort and uh, moving on to the next point the third point is uh, get some work experience um, having an income is probably one of the most liberating feelings in the world um, it also lets you acquire some key invaluable skills that you didn't know you needed so chances are you know i you know i'm still learning I, there are some things that i didn't know um a year ago that now i know and i didn't know i needed to know that um fourth point is don't waste your summers um you know we're in this in the fall and the winter you have deadlines you know people have expectations of you you have assignments you have exams and then that sort of guides you and then in the summer some some folks including myself when i was younger i just threw it away and definitely definitely make the most of it uh, use it as an opportunity to get some certifications work volunteer you know get your driver's license uh, read some books pick up a hobby um, obviously spend time with friends and and maybe take some additional courses uh, and then the last point is uh, what maybe the most important is uh, focus on being a good person. Um, be someone who's fun to be around and stop trying to impress other people. Um, when, when you're young, it's so hard because um, it just so happens that we're all full of insecurities and uh, I don't think maybe that ever goes away, but you get more comfortable with it and over time. So uh, we're all full of flaws. Uh, we have our vices, so just, just respect, uh, just acknowledge that and work on it and then try to be a good person. Um, you know, ask questions, take interest in others, uh, listen attentively, um, show love and support for your friends and create meaningful relationships and experiences. And I know that maybe is stepping away from the realm of research. I know I'm stepping away from that question a little bit, but that it's it's all interconnected you know you you miss out on one of these things and your the the research also takes a hit so just explore your interests that's a fascinating answer um wow that there's a lot to unpack there and i i recommend if anyone's listening to like rewind about whatever three minutes or whatever and just listen to that again because there's a lot there um <laughs> and i know like even even myself, when I was listening to that, I was like, huh, you know, I, I don't really do a lot of some of those things, you know, or, um, oh, I might be lacking in this area, and maybe I'm strong in this area, right? Um, and I think that's okay. You know, I think it's okay to be stronger in one area, weaker in another, and to recognize that, right? Um, I think that's really important. But um, yeah, there's, that's definitely um, some really good advice. Yeah. Um, and also I have a question for you. Um, so I, I know, you know, you're younger than me, you're maybe perhaps arguably in a different generation. And, 
you know, you grew up with the internet um, or your generation did rather, I'm not going to assume. Um, yeah, I did. You know, <laughs> okay, good. And so what do you, you know, I'm sure you think about this and what do you think, you know, you're in computer science, um, a lot of your work heavily relies on using technology um, as it should. Um, what do you think of, are the benefits disadvantages or maybe even neutral points um, or the consequences of the, the digital age? That's a lot. Um, yeah, I'm so I'm a I don't want to phrase this. I'm going to say this this term, but but out of the political context, I'm a conservative um, in terms of technology. I I'm a little bit I'm a little bit skeptical about some of it. So I don't, I used to use, it's actually an interesting story. So I'm gonna give an anecdote to sort of try and answer that question. Um, I used to use social media quite a bit um, as I think most people in my generation do, um, a bit of an addiction of some sort, although I don't really know if it's fully an addiction, but some sort of a mental um, attachment to social media or, or, you know, oh, I'm bored, I'm gonna pull out my phone and go on social media, right? um watch a youtube video or whatever it may be right um scroll through instagram i don't know um and and i i one day i was looking at my phone i have an iphone and in the settings it tells you how many hours you spend on each category i suppose of um of app on your phone and i looked on my uh social media category and it was something like 20 hours a week and if you break that down it's like okay 20 hours a week, that's like, what, an hour and a bit a day. Yeah, I could see you doing an hour and a bit in, in total every day. That sort of makes sense. Um, or maybe two hours a day, like that's okay, that's fine. Um, then I realized that's a part-time job, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I could be making, a, I could be doing a part, an extra part-time job. At the time I was working a part-time job and I was in university and I was, you know, in extracurriculars and, I, I was like struggling and I'm like, what would happen if I was able to free up enough time that I could work another part-time job, right? Um, or in theory, I could have, I was already doing a part-time job. I could have worked a full-time job in terms of hours, right? Um, that sort of struck me and I was like, this is really wasting my time. I get no enjoyment out of this. And really the only benefit of it is and I think the key benefit that I thought of was um, to preserve a sense of connection. Like not, I wouldn't even say a sense, to preserve connection um, between me in terms of like strategic connection. Like there's always a good reason to have some connection, right? So um, what I ended up doing was I dropped all of my social media, um, pretty much everything. The only things that I kept, or the only thing I should say that I kept that I can think of off the top of my head was, uh, I mean, I, I, I use YouTube to, cause you have to use YouTube for a lot of things. Um, I still do that. I don't like watch YouTube videos for the sake of watching YouTube videos, but I do like, if I need to like, I don't know, watch a video of someone doing something so that I can, you know, replicate it, then, then I'll do that. Um, but, but I guess the only other major social media I use is LinkedIn. Um, because you sort of have to in today's digital age. Um, now, I guess what I found was, I found, first off, I found I had a lot more time. And I think that was, 
um, pretty evident from what I said. Um, I had a lot more time to do a lot more things, um, which I took full advantage of. Um, and I also took advantage of being able to have a bit of buffer time, a bit of time for just myself, just quiet, nothing, no technology, nothing, just sort of sitting there thinking, right? Um, which I think that contemplation and that thought has allowed me to, um, to really, how do I say, uh, do better in, in my other areas, like my research and my, you know, um, just academics in general, right? And so I know that's going a little bit away from what you were, you were asking, but in terms of how does technology impact um, us as a, as a society, I think that one of the major things that it does that I found is, well, I guess a few things. It reduces your time. It, it's just a massive time waster. And I find if you ask most people, they, they don't, they aren't going to tell you that they, um, like, I, I don't really see people who are like excited about being able to go and look through social media, like actively excited, right? Usually it's a more passive type of a thing, right? And so, um, so I guess that's the first thing. It's a time waster and it doesn't really bring you happiness. The second thing um, that I found about, about, I guess, social media, which I think can be broadly applied, um, is, is the, um, how do you say? I guess uh, one thing is the lack of meaningful connection um you you're sort of trading in quantity for quality i think to some extent right um and then i suppose uh, there was one other point i wanted to bring up there um it was yeah the the i think it's a lack of and i can't put my finger on it quite yet but it's a lack of um of perhaps focus or um i guess deep thought that, that I think is required for a lot of skills. And I think, I think the, in terms of issue, like I, I also think quite a bit about, um, about the, the, I, I always describe it as an upcoming Renaissance of sorts, um, which I, I sort of foresee happening in a world with, um, with more AI and with more, you know, robotic automation of, of, you know, menial tasks. Um, and I think that, I think at that time we'll probably become a lot more of a creative type species with a lot more creative jobs. Um, and I think that, I think that will be a time when we will really see the effects of the internet, um, mm. the effects of, of not needing to think deeply about things. So it's sort of this, this, this idea of, um, of, I don't want, I don't even know if quality versus quantity sums it up well, but it's this idea of perhaps specificity, or, or perhaps it's a, a large amount of shallow knowledge versus a smaller amount of deep knowledge that we used to have in society. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, I, I think that's the, I guess that sort of is my, my ramble about that. But um, overall, I think that there are lots of problems with it. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing I, I came to the realization of recently was um, we're basically cyborgs at this point. I don't know if you've thought of that, but, but can you elaborate? The phone, yeah, I sure can. The um, the cell phone, you're carrying it everywhere you go, so it's essentially a part a part of your person. Um, it contains some of your more personal, I like pieces of information, right? Um, you feel lost, like you feel like you're broken if it's not there, like you're missing something, right? 
um, realistically, it's not connected to your body directly, but it is a part of you, right? To some fundamental extent, it is a part of who you are. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that fundamentally points at the fact that, that we, I suppose, are cyborgish to some extent. I don't think it's a bad thing, but mm -hmm. I think that, that we, or I, I actually, I don't want to say that. I don't know if it's a bad thing or not. Um, but I think that it does, it is interesting to me that we can't really, like with the cell phones, you can't really put them down, I suppose. You can't really like, um, like they're a fundamental part of people now, right? Uh, you mm -hmm. can't leave your house without your phone, right? It's like yeah. if you had like a, right? and I think I, I forget who mentioned it. It's, it's really just a cyborg or it's, we're really a cyborg, but the only difference between it being physically connected to us and what we have now is just speed, just latency, right? Mm -hmm. So realistically, right? I think that's all it is, right? Yeah. I think there is I think there is some truth to that that, that uh, it's always at arm's reach length um, and then we're you know if if you meet someone who doesn't have a phone today which to be honest I haven't yet um, you're gonna judge them whether you want to or not and there's there's a lot of that and I and uh, Cal Newport in his book deep work touches on how we're we're kind of drifting away with with the technology and uh, I, I do like his points and his thesis and and I mean like you said too there's there's a lot of benefits there's there's some connection there's inherent connection that brings that comes with technology and whether it's whether the conversations and the connections are diluted or not uh, I mean I, I guess it makes sense with when you have 200 people in your network are you really connected to that, those 200 folks so like for me like I and I think this was something I got from Cal as well, but um, I will text people like a lot more than I, I used to, right? And, and I, don't, I, don't know if, I don't know what he does specifically, but, but I know that like what I'll do is I will text, like, you know, if people say, oh, what do you do if it's like someone's birthday? And I'm like, well, I text them, right? Um, the odd time that I do need to use social media, um, I do it on my computer, right? And I don't have my password saved, right? Like those, I think those are, are some of his staples, um, mm -hmm. if I recall correctly. It, it's, you know, like it feels so much more personable and it feels so much more conscious, right? Um, yes. I'm consciously going on to do this. I'm not just like on Facebook. I, I haven't used Facebook in years now, but um, back when I did, I think if I recall correctly, I think it had like a button that you could, if when it was someone's birthday, it would pop up on your phone. It would say, hey, wish them a happy birthday. And then when you go into their comments section or whatever, you can click just to automatically populate with happy birthday, right? Um, yeah. And just hit send. Like, you, you don't even have to type it. You just click the button and it sends, right? <laughs> um, and it's like, huh, like, what are the ramifications of that, right? I think there's yeah. some, some serious issue with that um, because you may have, like, Let's say that you have, I don't know, uh, say that you're, you're really fortunate and you have like 100 people on your Facebook network who all sent you happy birthday. You didn't actually have 100 people who really cared that much, right? They just, they made it so easy for them that they just had to click a button, right? Um, <laughs> I'll send a text, I'll make a phone call, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and Now, and I, I should sort of put a, a bit of a caveat in there in the sense that um, I don't think that technology is bad 
I just right. think that we should be cautious. I think that we should tread lightly and, yes. and be very conscious of where we're going. Yes. Yeah. And, and on that note too, I know you mentioned cyborg um, and uh, you know, maybe the bigger question here is, you know, what does the human experience entail to you? Mm -hmm. Is that a rhetorical question or do you want me to try and tackle it? Yeah, I, I want you to try and answer okay. this. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, yeah, so, oh, what does the human experience entail? Um, I'm going to try and do this um, about as atheistically as I can. The first thing that comes to mind is, is a very theist argument, and I don't want to go down that route, but um, I think that yeah, I want it to be as applicable as possible. So I think that um, perhaps what it comes down to is, sorry, I'm just in thought here. Um, perhaps a I think I would almost sum it up as the human experience. I'm going to get this wrong, um, but I'm going to try anyways. I think the human experience sort of entails the, I think it entails to some extent, at least entails um, the idea of, of difference. Um, I think that perhaps that's a fundamental aspect of what it means to be human. Um, and so I, I guess to, to sort of ask the, the hidden or to answer the hidden question there, I, I think that cyborgs don't particularly matter. I think it's an interesting thing to note, but I don't think that it particularly changes the human experience. Um, mm -hmm. but I think that like, I think that the, the, the core of humanity to my understanding seems to be something akin to difference. Um, it's the, the observation of difference. It's the attempt to try and equalize difference or to try and extend difference. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's this fundamental question of, of, um, of what, what, what is difference, right? So, so perhaps that's something that I think you can see on, on many levels. You can see that on a political level, right? Um, you see the, the typical, I suppose your typical, um, extreme far right fascists are going to be, let's make this as different as possible, um, different classes of society. And then you look at your far right or so your far left um, communists who are more, uh, you know, everyone's equal perfectly to a T, right? Um, or you can even look, even if you take it away from the political lens, if you look at some, um, a question that people often ask is, what is my purpose, right? Um, you're trying to find where you're different from other people um to some fundamental extent right you, you you believe that you're different than some other people um perhaps it's perhaps it comes down to and and i guess so just so i can sprinkle a bit of theism in there perhaps it comes down to um what you view as as i guess what you what you worship right um fundamentally what uh, i think the, the if i recall correctly i think the uh, etymology of worship comes from something along the lines of worth ship. So where you place your worth, um, where you place your highest value. And, and I think 
I think fundamentally, um, I feel like that is is sort of core. Um, it's what's what's different, right? What's what are you trying to strive for in that sense, right? What is the the thing above you compared to you, right? Um, and whether that's a set of morals or whether that's some god or gods or whatever it may be, um, or some some form of practice, right? Like it doesn't particularly matter, but but I think that fundamentally humans exist or human existence is defined by difference um, to some extent. And I, I, I don't think that's a full answer because I don't know that I have a full answer, but I think that that's an attempt at a two-minute answer. Right. No, I appreciate that. That is a tough question and I don't have any answers myself. So uh, I, I do like the, the first start of that it could be difference. It could be difference. And it is interesting that if we zoom out, then that fades away. You know, like if I go up in an airplane, then can I really visualize the human experience from up there? And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then I, I suppose then the question I think a question that we may have to grapple with at some point, and I think you're you're sort of starting to see it with um, with such division that we're seeing in these times, right? Mm -hmm. Is and it's only going to get. I think it's only going to get worse. Is especially as we move to say Mars and other planets and get crazy, right? Um, is what what differentiate at what point? I, I should phrase that. At what point are we not human? I think is a, a better question um at what point do we cease to be human and and is there is do we cease to be human at some point right um mm. do we draw the line right and i think i think even in terms of like at a more fundamental level and i this is going to be very abstract and probably not technical enough for with your background in um uh with your background in the i guess the the biology side of things um is I, I almost wonder how do we know if we've evolved, right? Like mm -hmm. evolution, you look at evolution, it branches into different species and different, um, you know, one, one core, I guess, ancestor will branch, branch into various, um, I suppose, children, if you want to call them that, um, or derivative um, species. How do we know when we've, when we've evolved, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's good. It's ought to happen. Like, I don't think we can assume that we're special compared to the past, you know, the, the past whole slew of evolution that's gone on. I don't think mm -hmm. that we're special, but the question is, how do we know? Right. right. Um, obviously that's a lot more long scale than like my lifetime or yours, but um, it is something that I think we should think about. Right. Um, yeah. Where we're headed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's fundamentally that's an interesting question though. Um, I don't know how we got down the philosophy rabbit hole, but that's, <laughs> okay, I'm, that's sorry. Good. I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> I'm all for it. Great. Um, yeah. So at this point, I almost don't want to go down the rabbit hole of your uh, your research. If you want to, we can. I'd be cool to chat about it. Yeah, no, let's, uh, maybe we can take it in a completely different direction um, entirely too, because I was listening to uh, a topic because you mentioned Mars and other planets. 
you know, uh, I listened to a podcast with Elon Musk recently, and he was saying how he thinks the 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 government in another planet, let's say Mars, for example, should should be completely different. It should be, I think he used the word a, a direct democracy, and um, where yeah. the folks are deciding on each major decision rather than having an elected official or a group of elected officials to decide on a matter because they're because they think that because they're always there's always going to be conflicts of interests and corruption in that so i mean it's it's rampant in just about every government unfortunately um so how can we do do you think that this is that's the appropriate solution that another planet because we probably can't change our governments like that that we're calling for a revolution and i'm i'm not i'm not willing to take it that far but uh you know, another planet is a direct democracy the, the way to go. Um, I, I would push back a little bit on something that you said there, um, or, or mm -hmm. perhaps you implied um, that what we have now is bad. I don't think it's bad at all. Um, mm -hmm. Or like what we have now is, is inferior or is, you know, is doesn't work. Um, I think on the whole, yes, it does. It does have its flaws, don't get me wrong. But I think that perhaps if you put it into a perspective, um, it was the best at the time, right? When when this this sort of idea was created, right? In the 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 founding of America, let's say, or or wherever you want to attribute this this um uh representative democracy type of an idea. Um it was it was um at the time, the best solution. You couldn't have everybody go down to Washington, you know, every mm -hmm. like couple months to do a bunch of votes. Like, it's not going to yeah. work, right? Um, today we have the internet, right? And that changes a lot of things. Um, I think that direct democracy at this point in time is a logical step. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know how. I don't even know that I would say that it's not a good idea to have it on earth right now. I think that it is, but I also don't think that it's the best form of democracy either. I think that there's a mm -hmm. subsequent, right? Like there's going to be another iteration of this. Um, like realistically, um, there's a lot of ways you could really take that, but um, I don't really, I can't predict, you know, science where technological development will go, but I do think that, um, I think that, yeah, I think direct democracy is good. Um, I think I also listened to that podcast. Uh, okay. If I recall, I think it was Lex Friedman. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I listened to that one too. It was pretty good. But uh, mm -hmm. I think, I, yeah, I think that d direct democracy is, uh, well, personally, I would leave a lot of it up to the political philosopher, political scientists. Um, political philosophers, I think that they would probably have a better idea of what the ramifications of it are. There may be like unforeseen ramifications that I can't think of, but based mm -hmm. on my shallow view, it seems probably like a, a likely, how do I phrase this? It seems like a logical next step to humanity's right. democratic or I guess political in general endeavors. Right. Yeah. And I do feel like, uh, we'd have to tackle the whole misinformation, disinformation uh, aspect of things as well before we even 
uh, integrate that into society because that could that could just influence things in so many large scale ways. So I've done quite a bit of research on misinformation, disinformation, fake news, the whole slew of them. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts. What, how do you think that we combat misinformation at a very abstract level? Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I thought about it and, you know, frankly, I don't have any good answers and I, I've read, I've read the literature on it and I don't see anything substantial in terms of the recommendations. The recommendations are great. Like, don't get me wrong. You know, they're, they're thinking a lot. You can, they have ideas that I never even considered and they're much smarter than me. And I'm sure you're much smarter than me in this realm too. Um, and um, a lot of it seems like um, things that are temporary solutions. Um, but, you know, how do you, how do you tackle it? I think, I think it requires some major legislation, unfortunately, and like major control over, over things. But I, I don't see that as, as a solution either, because there's going to be so much bad that comes with it. So I'm really stuck. I'm conflicted. I don't have any answers. Um, it's the reason that I brought that up is because it's really interest. It's really fascinating to me that you you made the connection between democracy, from leading from democracy to misinformation. Because my research goes the opposite way. It tries mm. to solve misinformation using democracy. So it's fascinating to me that that it's almost cyclical to some extent, right? right. We need democracy, or to fix, or to have a successful democracy. You need to combat misinformation, as you said, which I, I would agree with. But then from my point of view, one of the best ways to combat misinformation is democratically, right? So it's sort of this cyclical issue of, of um, you know, if we don't have democracy, then how do we, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that there's a fundamental, there's a fundamental, I don't know, I, I, this may be very abstracted. I think it is going to be very abstracted, but um i i see cycles like that as really hidden sort of a, a hidden what came first the chicken or the egg problem mm -hmm. um and i i think fundamentally um there there may be no answer but the the way that i sort of think of it is is you have like in math i, I think of it in math terms right so you have like a circle right um on a on a plane let's suppose um and you've got whatever your idea your your concepts going around and around in circles but i think that people forget that that circle could be moving right mm -hmm. um it may be trapped in a in a cycle but the circle itself can be moving right um and so i think that that fundamentally answers the the question of the chicken or the egg it, to the answer that it doesn't really matter because something else is moving right like it's it's almost a perspective thing, right? It's, um, it'd be like thinking about, uh, um, you know, the, the, the question of, of if we were to time travel, right? I'm sure you've heard this. If we were to say, go back in time, the, the issue would be that we would be in the middle of space because everything is moving, right? Everything's constantly moving. Um, like the, sure the, the, the earth is orbiting the sun, but then the, solar system is moving in and of itself and galaxies are moving and uh, everything's moving right so you can't 
you know, it, it depends on what scope you look at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure, it's cyclical, but maybe that cycle is moving, right? And so I think that, I think that fundamentally, an- or I guess attempts to deal with that question of democracy versus misinformation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where it'll go. I don't, yeah. you know, that's a bit hard to predict, but, but I think that, um, I think that we'll get answers to both of them at some point in time, um, probably relatively around the same time. Uh, right. Yeah. And do you think you'll stick in, stay in this uh, area of research? Um, probably not. Um, okay. To be honest, probably no. Um, it fascinates me. Uh, it fast. I actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I should say probably no because I don't particularly know. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't figured that out yet, but right. maybe, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but mm-hmm. I just sort of, I'll see where, uh, where it takes me, you know, see right. where things take me right now. I've been doing a lot of research. So I've got, I've got one paper published and I'm working on, I, I, I anticipate that by the end of the year, I will have two more, uh, finished on on misinformation specifically um different areas i don't really want to go too far into them just because you know uh, uh-huh. that side of things but but yeah i i think that um yeah i think i'll have about two more papers published or submitted or completed or something um by then um mm-hmm. yeah so so I've, I've been thinking a lot about it i i it mm-hmm. seems that my career is going in that direction but I mean, I'm not going to stop it right. if it does, but um, I guess we'll see. Right? <laughs> yeah, don't close any doors. And uh, but congratulations on the first uh, publication because that I feel like the first one's always the toughest, and after that, it gets gets much more easier or easier to handle, perhaps. Well, even like in terms of the publication process, right? And I, I'm sure that's um, something that you probably know quite a bit about. Um, and it, it's it's fascinating because. It, it, it's and I, I, I'm going to quote one of my past podcasts, um, episode six of the podcast with uh, Joe Pold. Um, he described it as a black box, and that sort of fascinated me um, as a purposeful black box, um, mm-hmm. like very intentiously or in, intently a black box, consciously a black box, um, in the sense that that it's made to be difficult to um to really understand or to really fully grasp right um mm. and i think stem fellowship journal does a really good job at making it as transparent as possible um i that's what i found it seems a lot like i've published at other journals and it seems a lot more um yeah it seems a lot more uh uh how do you say um seems a lot more transparent, I suppose, of a process, yeah. um, a lot less black box esque than some of these you know, larger journals that we're looking at. Um, I think that's a that's a fundamental issue that that we may have to deal with in the publication space. But but um, yeah, I, I think that STEM Fellowship Journal does a good job at that, at least. Right. And there, there are a lot of issues that must be dealt with in the publication space, <laughs> especially <laughs> especially like the paywall aspect of things like why are why is this even a system like how did we get trapped in like you are generating content and you pay to have that content 
distributed. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I see it. I see why journals need to be sustainable. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I could see us shifting into more of a, um, perhaps like a, a blockchain-esque model. I hate to use that because it's such a buzzword, but but I like to use it in the sense that it conveys the idea that I'm trying to get across more of a distributed model um, where essentially you can publish on your own. I, I, I think that could be kind of neat. I haven't thought that idea very through or through very well. Um, perhaps like mm -hmm. a communal, a communal, um, even just like, because realistically right now, anybody could publish your own work, right? Theoretically, sort of ish. Um, you could just go on your website and put your manuscript up there and call it a day. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe you get somebody to peer review it or whatever, right? Call it a day. Um, you could do that if you wanted to. It probably wouldn't hold as much clout though is the issue, right? Um, so I, I wonder if fundamentally, um, if, uh, how do you say, um, if, if eventually we might evolve into more of a distributed system where perhaps citations comes into account, perhaps um, if you want to think of it like a like, like a scientific thumbs up button comes into account or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, um, you could realistically bring that in. But then, like you said, then you deal with the, the question of, um, well, I think misinformation and contentiousness are very closely related, but then you, mm -hmm. you deal with the issue of contentiousness. Um, you deal with the, the issue of what if this paper is contentious, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes contentious science is, is good science. It's sometimes very, very important science, right? Um, however, that doesn't mean that uh, like it's still contentious and people still might not use it as much or might not like it as much. Um, mm -hmm. It's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Um, yeah. but I, I think that, I think that one of the things with, with society on the whole is, is we have to be very weary when we, like I, I, I said, um, conservative minded, right? So we have to be very weary when we walk, we have to be very, very cognizant of where we're going, mm -hmm. um, and what the implications of that are. And I think that, I mean, I don't think that means stop all progress. Like I'm not saying that by any extent, right? there's amazing things that we've had with technology and with, with progress in general. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that when it comes to things like that, to, to changing up processes, um, I don't, I don't believe if it isn't broke, don't fix it. That's not a belief that I hold, but I mm -hmm. think that we just need to be careful, right? Um, yeah. We need to keep our doors open and we need to walk very carefully and very thoughtfully. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And also involve others in that process when we're making those decisions or before we make those decisions to just make sure that we're, you know, we're doing it with uh, with a consensus almost. Um, and, you know, obviously some ideas are are out there and, and require, you know, bold steps alone. But for the most part, I think if you can persuade folks and you can really appeal to them then and and then bring them along the journey with you i think that could that's that might be the best strategy
Yeah. Yeah. I guess sort of, since we're getting to the end here, um, mm -hmm. just quickly, um, what, if you want to sort of sum up um, what we were just talking about there, what, um, what do you think as somebody who's working in research or in, I suppose, publication, I should say, I should clarify, um, what do you think needs to be changed in the publication space? I'm going to leave it broad. Or do you think that it needs to be changed? <laughs> Sounds like you do, but I don't <laughs> want to put words in your mouth. That's a great question uh, as well. Um, what do I think needs to be changed? Um, hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that are great about it. You know, we have experts reviewing the content and ensure they are, they can be viewed as gatekeepers, but the gatekeepers are good in, in this broadly, you know, for the most part, they're good. Um, and um, as long as the gatekeepers are appropriate and, and seem to, you know, provide the right sort of criticism and feedback to your work. Um, there are things, you know, there was that huge debate that came up early on in the pandemic with preprint servers, you know, with BioArchive and MetArchive where, um, I personally had that internal struggle of should I be using and citing these papers that haven't been peer reviewed for my grant applications and papers. Um, and um, early on, I did use it. And then a few months in, there was just an influx of just sheer amount of papers, like bad quality, uh, um, poor writing, just flooded that space. And, and you know, it just became obvious maybe not obvious, but it became a little bit more clear to our group and our lab that maybe we shouldn't be using this because it's, it hasn't been vetted. There's no, there's no proof of validity. There's no proof of anything that's gone on here. Um, and then in, in fact, we should just wait it out and make sure that there's actual published literature out there. So I think, I think that's something we should be thinking about. Um, and as we go towards that step of more open access, um, for lack of a better word, um, journals and articles, because I think I think knowledge and science should be accessible to everyone. Um, I don't have any solutions on how we can do that currently. Um, you know, making that knowledge. You know, obviously there are databases that compile. Uh, journal articles behind paywalls and make it accessible to everyone. That's fine. I mean, more power to you if you don't have any resources to or any subscriptions, then I mean, what better option do you have, right? So fortunately, I have all those mm -hmm. subscriptions that I need. So I don't have to resort to that. Um, yeah, that's what we should be considering. And, you know, how do we curb the predatory journals that are out there that are looking for as much money as possible and as much revenue as possible? And, um, putting bad science out. So I, th I think those are the most salient things that are on my mind and should be on other scientists and researchers' mind as we go forward. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Um, I think that's a good conclusion, concluding point there. Um, I will leave links to, do you have any links you want me to leave in the description for people if they want to contact you? LinkedIn? Um, yeah, just LinkedIn is fine. Yes, thanks. Sounds good. Awesome. I will put um, Ab's LinkedIn in the description. Um, 
anyone wants to send questions, you can always ask me questions. I always put that in the description. Um, yeah, thanks for watching or listening. Awesome.